Corinthians 15, 35, and my goal will be to get through verse 42. All right? So let's pray together so we'll understand the word, and uh, let's jump right in. Father, I thank you so much for those that have decided to join us this evening um, in person, or those that join us online, or online later, or via the podcast, and uh, I pray that our hearts will be available to you, and uh, that we will be open to your spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak through me. I pray that you will speak to all of us. I pray that you'll open your words so that we will be able to understand it and that you will give us application for each of our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so now we get into the meat of the Apostle Paul's argument concerning the resurrection of the dead. Um, That has been his purpose for chapter 15, hence the resurrection chapter. He's basically shown the Corinthians that their... um, their disagreement or their doubt about the resurrection is foolish because Jesus rose from the dead. And if they're saying there is no resurrection of the dead, and by the way, this wouldn't have been unprecedented as we've mentioned before. There were several philosophical schools uh, in the Greco-Roman world, Stoicism, Epicureanism, both of which, both of those schools of philosophy, uh, the Apostle Paul spoke to at the Areopagus, which is uh, an account contained in Acts chapter 17. It's kind of like this debate forum, if you will, pretty fancy building on uh, Mars Hill. And the Apostle Paul was invited to speak to them. And they were listening intently to what he had to say until he mentioned the resurrection of the dead. And then it says, and some of them sneered at him. And they said, yeah, we'll hear you more on this later. Well, he was speaking to two, there are two major schools of thought, as I just mentioned, um, two major philosophical schools that the Apostle Paul was speaking to, uh, the Stoics and the Epicureans, and neither one of those believed in or agreed with a bodily resurrection from the dead. That's definitely something that is pretty Jewish, actually, but not even all of the Jews agreed with a bodily resurrection from the dead. Uh, The Sadducees, for example, if you remember your Bible, you remember there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, There's that old old, uh, song that you might have sung when you were in uh, VBS or camp. It says, you know, I don't want to be a Sadducee. I don't want to be a Sadducee. Because they're so sad, you see. (laughs) Well, they're sad because they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. I mean, literally, then the Apostle Paul gets to that. What's the point? Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. What are we doing all this for? The Apostle Paul says, if we've been following Jesus, uh, you know, just for this life alone, then we're pitiful. Of all men, we are most to be pitied. Well, the Apostle Paul had great reason to, to make that statement because he was being you know, regularly persecuted for his faith. And I don't mean like you and I would be persecuted where, you know, people just kind of turn their shoulder and, you know, they're disagreeable and disrespectful. No, we're talking, you know, he was stoned, he was beaten. Uh, All of these things were happening to him because he was preaching the gospel. Um, So he makes those statements and now he gets into the meat of the argument. Verse 35. But someone will ask, how were the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, 
but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. So he's essentially given a series of examples, right? Of uh, similitudes. The resurrection is like these things, right? So the, the question he uh, asks is the one he anticipates, how are the dead raised? Well, our present bodies are subject to the ravages of time and that would otherwise be referred to as entropy, right? The law of entropy is the first law of thermodynamics. The first law of thermodynamics, ironclad law, can't disobey it, right? It's not like, you know, the speed limit where you can choose to disobey it and, you know, you're going to get some sort of a consequence. You can't disobey this law. All matter is proceeding toward death, right? Uh, excuse me, all matter is proceeding toward chaos. All energy is proceeding toward death. Now, when we say death in regard to energy, we mean it is digressing to a lower and lower and lower state. Perhaps the best way to uh, imagine this is uh, a natural phenomenon that we see in the Holy Land. So um, far to the north in Israel, there is a mountain that is often capped in snow and water runs down from that mountain and ends up in the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is full of fish. Of course, you know, we remember reading about that in our Bibles that the, the fishermen were called from the Sea of Galilee. And uh, then the Jordan River runs out of the Sea of Galilee, but the Holy Land continues to go further and further down, down, down towards sea level until it gets to a place where it's actually below sea level. The Jordan River is running the whole time. It gets below sea level and all that water that started at uh, Mount Hermon and drifted down into the Sea of Galilee, then down the Jordan River, all the way down, winds up in the what sea? The Dead Sea. And it's called the Dead Sea because nothing can live in it. Nothing moves in the Dead Sea. It's full of all sorts of minerals. In fact, you can go to the Dead Sea today and uh, you can see pictures of this if you'd like to. I'm sure you'll see some online. Um, the Dead Sea has kind of uh, lost a significant amount of water in the last decade or so. Uh, so there are areas that were once sort of resorts around the Dead Sea that uh, are not really in operation any longer. I've been watching a, a channel on YouTube and it's a, a couple that are actually uh, Jewish people and they're in Israel. They're, I think they're actually from the United States and they're in Israel and they're very much believers in Jesus and they go to all of these old sites, you know, that we read about in scripture and they show what they're like today. And I remember one of the uh, videos that they showed on that channel was at the Dead Sea. And it's, it's really much lower and therefore occupying less space than it did previously. But the, the water is so full of minerals that normally if you get in the water, 
okay, and you don't tread water or you don't fill your lungs with air and, you know, keep your lungs filled with air and lay back on your back, you're going to do what? You're going to sink. But the water density is so high that you can actually lay on the Sea of Galilee and not sink. Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, <laughs> and not sink, right? That's how much, but nothing lives there, right? It's so, uh, so acidic, I guess it is, uh, that nothing can live there. There are no fish in the Sea of Galilee. There are, no, um, there are no plants, any of that sort of stuff. Well, that's a good example of this law of entropy that this potential energy that was in that water, right, is moving further and further and further down until it just sits there still and does nothing. Another example using water is the Colorado River. So the Colorado River has been a source for water and for energy for the West for, you know, since we were able to dam the Colorado. There's a significant drought going on in the West right now. So Lake Powell and Lake Mead, both of which are uh, lakes that were created as the result of damming the Colorado, those lakes are both extremely low. But even before the drought, because of the usage of the Colorado, um, originally the Colorado River went all the way down, down, down to California and then joined the Pacific Ocean. Now it is well short of the Pacific before it just runs out of juice. There's no more water. There's no more energy to push the water. It's that, well, that's helped by the fact that we dammed it and we're using that energy, right, of the, of the water. So it doesn't have as much power to flow as it did previously. So there's a, a good example of that. Our bodies are the same way as these two rivers. We just eventually run out, okay? That's just the nature of it. Um, so once the physical body die, uh, dies, it begins to decay, which means all of the cells that were left alive die and deteriorate as well. And there's no stopping this in inexorable process. In order to preserve the memory and honor of a person who has died, their body may be embalmed, although the external appearance of the body is similar to the way it was when they were alive, it would be impossible for an embalmed body to live. In fact, the chemicals that are used to make the body look alive are ironically toxic to living organisms. So with all this in mind, the, apostle, the apostle's rhetorical question is quite pertinent. How can a dead person live? Well, Jesus miraculously uh, raised three different people, and I will say he resuscitated them. Now, this is not identical to what happens when paramedics come and somebody has died and uh, they apply the paddles to them and, you know, send electricity into their heart and get it pumping again or, uh, you know, provide some form of CPR because in each of the cases that I'm about to mention, these people had been dead for some time. So there was the case of Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, the synagogue leader, Jairus. Jesus raised her from the dead. There was a case of the widow of Nain's son, who they were actually bringing out on a buyer. He was in some sort of a, an open casket, if you will. And Jesus touched the casket, and then he told the boy to rise, and the, the boy did. And then, of course, perhaps the, the most famous of these, the most powerful resurrection, if you will, or resuscitation, is Lazarus, 
who had actually been dead for four days. Now, bear in mind, they didn't embalm people like we embalm people or like the Egyptians embalm people. They would wrap them in perfumed cloth, right, to keep the natural uh, deterioration of the body from ruining it as quickly and you know, causing the, the dishonorable smell. Well, these miracles proved Jesus' divinity and they demonstrated his power and his authority over death, right? However, the reason that I said resuscitated might be a better word is because these people all died again. Jairus' daughter, I, we don't know when she died, but you know, let's hope she lived to a ripe old age and she died. And the widow of Nain's son, eventually he died again. And Lazarus, although he was raised, and by the way, the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Lazarus again after Jesus has already raised him because they were so mad at Jesus. This is how sick these people were, right? And, but he died again. Resurrection is not like that. So the resurrection from the dead, and it says Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, that's permanent. That's good news, right? Um, so there's an even more important question which is assumed in the first, and the first, of course, how can a dead person live? is how are the dead raised to eternal life? What kind of body will endure the ravages of time? And that's what the apostle said in verse 35. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So that's the second question. Um, what kind of body is capable of living in the realm or the dimension of heaven and the renewed earth to come? Although the resurrected will live forever with God in a restored earth, Jesus is the quote-unquote first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, and he's in heaven now. Therefore, the resurrected body must be capable of existing in both realms. That is, a resurrected body can exist here in our limited three-dimensional, three-spatial dimension, one-time dimension, four-dimensional space, and it can also exist in what we might call God's space, right? Um, so first we must realize that the present, lim the present, present limited body must die in order for the new resurrected body to be created. Jesus himself stated, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Well, the apostle Paul just used that same example, right? He said like a bare kernel has to die in order to become what it is within, right? Um, there's a, uh, an author and a professor and a former um, bishop in the Anglican church named N.T. Wright. And he's written uh, really a very significant book on the resurrection of Jesus. Um, uh, I think it's titled like The Resurrection of the Christ or something like that. It's it's an extensive treatment. But he wrote a smaller, more accessible book called Surprised by Hope. And on page 63, he states that Jesus' resurrected body, quote, used up the material of his previous one and now possesses new properties that nobody had expected or imagined. I like that. So when they go into the tomb, and they see the, the burial cloth just laying there flat, okay? And the facial cloth folded and put to the side. There is something very, very powerful and transformational 
that took place, a metamorphosis, if you will, took place where the previous material of Jesus' body was translated, transformed into this new resurrected body. At the end of the resurrection chapter, the chapter we're in right now, we're told by the Apostle Paul that this body, that is the one we're in right now, must be changed. And that is true, um, even of those who have not died when Christ returns. Listen to what it says at the end of this chapter. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. Therefore, the present body must end for the resurrected body to take its place, right? So that's the first thing we've got to get in our mind. If Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise first, but then this body is going to come to an end and, you know, the Lord is going to do the same thing he did with Jesus' body in the tomb. It's going to be transformed from its present material into that uh, resurrected state or form. So we're not dealing with the perpetuation of the present creation, but with a new creation. So this body is not going to just keep living on and on, right? So whatever features or frailties we have in this body, we don't have to worry about having in that body. You're still going to be you, okay? But you're going to be the best you that you could possibly be. Um, and that's good news. It's good news that we're going to have a tangible body, not a physical body in the sense of this temporary one, but a physical body in the sense that we can touch it, right? We can move in it. We can feel with it. It's not, you know, translucent, transparent. Um, you know, it's not like, you know, we have imagined through all of the literature and movies and so forth that we've been exposed to that, you know, it's like a ghost that you can stick your hand through or something like that. No, it's, it's literal. It's real. It's touchable. And Jesus appeared. He ate fish in front of them. Uh, when he appeared on the second Sunday, he invited Thomas to put his hand in the, in the or his fingers in the wound in, in his uh, hands and to put his hand in the, the, the place where the spear had punctured his side. So, yeah, th this is real, but it's different. But as we see with Jesus, um, he was not immediately recognized each time he appeared. Half the time they were scared. Uh, sometimes they doubted. But it was the same person, right? Um, and whatever it is about you that's essential to you, even, I guess, to some degree, the scars that you have that speak of who you are, you're going to have. Well, why would I say that? Well, if Jesus still has the wounds, oh, that's central to who Jesus is, right? He died on the cross for us. It's not peripheral. We're not going to be worried about, you know, beauty marks and all these other sorts of things in heaven, right? Um, but I think it's important for us to understand what we're dealing with here when we ask what kind of body do they come. Um, N.T. Wright relates resurrection to new creation as its quote-unquote defining event. He says the resurrection is not, as it were, a highly peculiar event within the present world, though it is that as well. It is principally the defining event of a new creation, 
the world that is being born with Jesus. So Jesus is the first fruits from among the dead. He's the firstborn from among the dead, the first fruits of the resurrected. But he's also the pioneer of this entire new creation. Well, you know, the, the heaven and the earth, the heavens, if you will, and the earth will also be recreated and in that sense, resurrected, okay? Um, resurrected bodies then will not be the same kind as our present physical ones. He says, and what you sow is not the body that is to be but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. So if you have a seed in your hand, unless you're, you know, a farmer, you know, unless you're used to that, you don't know what's in that. What, what does that mean? Okay. Now, certain seeds are, you know, uh, have a, a distinctive look to them. All right, an acorn, okay, oh, that's going to become an oak tree. A rose bud, or a rose bud, not bud, a rose bulb. Have you seen a rose bulb? They're big, okay? Um, the seed from an avocado. See, if you've been exposed to those, you know what they look like. But if you, you know, if you had the seed of something else in your hand, you might, know, you might not know what it is going to be, right? So you might not understand quite yet exactly all that you are going to be. Paul says, look at a seed. It appears to be nothing like the plant that results from it, yet God uses that seed to create something much, much greater. You see, you're just potential. Sitting there, watching, you're just potential. There's all this potential there, right? So think of, you know, the, the seed has the entire structure plan, if you will, the DNA of the plant that it will become once it's planted and dies to being a seed. That's all in it. So you are made, you're created in the image of God. When the Holy Spirit comes in and restores that image, then everything that you're going to be is in you and there's a, there, we would say the, the Holy Spirit, uh, as the Apostle Paul says, a number of times, uh, see, I'm counting one, two, three, four times that I'm counting here. Uh, he calls the Holy Spirit a down payment of what is to come. So we're switching metaphors there, right, from the seed over here to this down payment of this, this greater investment that God has made in us and this greater inheritance that we have uh, in front of us. So let's think of an inheritance as an example of that because we're often told that Jesus offers us the inheritance of heaven, okay? Um, let's say you have a relative uh, that passes away when you're young and you are one of the heirs, okay? Or maybe you're the sole heir. Let's just say you're the sole heir, all right? But you're young. And so in the will, it says you cannot uh, receive that inheritance until you're, we'll say 21. Let's say you're, you know, 10 years old when the, the person passes away. But between the time you're 10 and you're 21, the will stipulates that you receive a down payment, right? You receive a sum of money. And presumably if you're only 10, your parents are going to uh, use that for your benefit. And, you know, we'll say the will stipulates that, okay? 
But then when you turn 21, you get the full amount. That's kind of what we have now. With the Holy Spirit, we have that down payment, right? So let's switch back to the other metaphor, to the seed. Within you, there's that DNA of what you will become, right? And that is enlivened and restored uh, by the Holy Spirit. But see, in the end, we're going to have to end here in order to receive that. So uh, then the Apostle Paul goes to the next point. The, the resurrected body will have a different kind of flesh. Um, animals have differing kinds of bodies, and their, their outer coverings uh, are different, right? So think of a mammal. Think of a bird. Think of a fish. They're different, aren't they? They're very different. Their flesh is different, Right? Um, I haven't been hunting too many times, but that's when you kind of really drill down into it because once you kill an animal to eat it, then you have to, you know, as they say, clean it, right? You have to butcher it. And that tells you immediately that you're dealing with something completely different. So I, you know, I went bird hunting with my dad, uh, my stepdad actually, several times. Uh, we went dove hunting and that was really boring, standing in a field, shooting, waiting for doves to go over, and you're competing with a bunch of other guys, and you're shooting these birds out of the air. Got to figure out who, you know, actually shot what bird. <laughs> Terrible. And, uh, but we went quail hunting one time, right? And I had my little 410 shotgun. Yeah, that's what, that's what my dad gave me. I think I was like, what was I, 14, I guess? Um, he had this great big 12-gauge. And which, you know, I mean, it could hit something way out there. I had this little bitty 410. And I'm talking, it's a single shot 410. Put one shell in there, click it. That's all you got. Got one single shot. But we went quail hunting. That's a lot more fun. Because you have to find them. They're on the ground. Quail are on the ground, okay? And as soon as you get up on them, they, they fly. But they're kind of like chickens. They can't fly very far. So what they'll do is they'll just kind of fly over the, the ridge, over the rise, and then they'll land somewhere. So you got to blast them. <laughs> when you scare them up, boom! <laughs> you know, you got to blast them right there. Um, and yeah, uh, my dad said, if you kill it, you got to clean it. Now today, you know, I'm sure half the time or more, hunters will take what they've killed and they'll take it to somebody that will clean it for them. I took my dad's word at it, and I knew that that's not what I wanted to do. But in that process, you know, you pull the head off of the bird, and oh, it's, it's great. You break the wings off, right? Because really, I go to Gloria's, and you can buy quail at Gloria's. It's the only place that I've been that you can buy and eat quail, right? And uh, they have like the whole bird laid out there. And you don't get much meat on anything other than the breast, okay? But, you know, the way we cook these birds, and I'm assuming the way most other people do, is you just basically just, you tear the whole thing apart and you just get to the breast. And that's it. It's like this little bit of meat that's right there, you know? And I don't know. I, I really didn't like it that much, and I don't want to clean them. So I'm like, nah, I'm good. That's not what I want to do. But it's different. They, they do have different kinds of flesh. If you've ever... If you've ever, you know, boned a fish, cleaned a fish, they're, they're different, 
right? So that's what he's saying. The resurrected body is not going to have the same kind of skin you have. It's different. In the next Corinthian letter, that is 2 Corinthians, Paul refers to our current body as a tent, which refers to something that's temporary, right? I mean, I'm sure there are people that live in tents. Um, in the Middle East, there you know, are Bedouin who live in tents, and this was common in Jesus, uh, prior to Jesus' day, probably even in Jesus' day. Um, and so there is a, you know, there's a more permanent tent, but a tent is, uh, it's more temporary than a building made of stone. I would doubt that there is any tent in existence that has been standing as long as this building has been standing, right? This building was built in 1897. It survived two fires in downtown Garland that burned the entire downtown down. And our building and the one next door that looks identical to it were the only ones left standing, right? So here we are in this building that's 125 years old. Can you imagine a tent that has just been standing consistently for 125 years? No! But look at that wall. We think that wall looks cool, the, the worn brick and so forth. But you know, you can look at different parts of this wall, like especially right down here, yeah, and you can see that the mortar is really worn away. This building is not going to stand forever, right? So we're looking at a comparison here, right? A tent to a stone building. Compare the tabernacle, right? Which was the tent of meeting, right? It was the place where the Israelites met with God, or the priests at least met with God, uh, during the time of the wilderness wandering, and all the way up to the early days of their time in the land of Canaan. It was a tent. It was made so they could take it down and move it and put it back up. But then, under Solomon, uh, long about uh, 1000 BC, uh, there was a temple that was built a beautiful stone temple. And it stayed standing until enemies came in and tore it down, right? So we need to understand that what we're in right now is more like a tent as compared to an eternal building that can't be torn down, right? Um, the resurrected body will have far surpassing glory. That's the other thing. So let's go back and review the verses that I'm referring to here. Um, all flesh is not the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals. We've looked at that. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another, right? So let's look at that idea. Um, Hang on, just a second, get back to where I was. Um, the resurrected body will, will have far surpassing glory. Human beings are created in the image of God. So some of that glory is evident even in a fallen world, even in the worst of people. As the sun surpasses the moon, so the resurrected body will surpass the present physical body. The resurrected body is like the sun as our current body is like the moon that reflects its glorious light. The reason you can see the moon is because of the sun. So again, just as the example I tried to relate to you a moment ago of the DNA inside the seed, 
all right? Or then the, the down payment of the Holy Spirit within you. So you have a degree of glory now. You're a reflection of what you will become. And none of that is apart from the Lord. That's not a natural process. It's a supernatural process. Um, not of the, the will of the flesh, of the will of man, but the will of God, okay? Um, and then he says, star differs from star in glory. Uh, there's a lot of ways to take that. But um, stars differ from each other in brightness and in size. So we may see the difference among those of us who are raised. There are trillions of stars, right? Um, 200 billion trillion stars, right? That's a lot of stars. And they're all distinct. They're all different. Sure, there are similar stars. They're, you know, all of the, the various classifications that they have, but they're all different. They are, they are different in brightness. Some stars you can see very clearly and some you can't. Now, they would have included anything that they saw shining in the sky, right? So what we would call the North Star is actually not a star. What is it? Or the morning star, pardon me, not the North Star, the morning star. It's not a star. What is the morning star? It's a planet. It's the planet Venus. So when you see the moon and you see this bright, it's called the morning star right here. It's actually, that's actually the planet Venus, right? So these are all different than each other. And in such a way, we will differ from one another, still reflecting the Lord's glory. I, I think that this may also be a way of looking at the rewards that people will receive in heaven for what you've done down here on earth. Um, you don't have to worry about being condemned. There's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But we need to realize that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an answer for our lives, um, for what we've done, whether good or bad. All the bad is taken care of by the blood of Christ. But then what have you done with your life? What have you, how have you invested this beautiful gift that God has given you? So we have the parable of the talents, right? Uh, where the master gives each of three servants a different amount of money. We call it a talent, which I think is, you know, kind of appropriate because we can make this application that it's your, you know, your talent, this natural gifting that you're given. But the word talent uh, that is used in scripture there refers to a weight of money. So think of our word pound, a pound of you know, gold or a pound of silver. So one servant is given five talents, one is given two and one is given one. So it's not a one-to-one -one correlation, but to help you understand, just think of that as pounds, right? So one servant is given five pounds of gold Another servant is given two pounds of gold. Another servant is given one pound of gold. Notice all the servants are given something. Now, what did they do with it? Well, the one that was given five pounds went out and invested it and earned five more pounds. So he brought the master 10 pounds back. The master said, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. And he rewards him. The servant that's given two pounds goes out and invests it. And he brings four pounds back. He doubles it. Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. And the last guy comes up, dragging his one pound and a dirty sack. Same sack that the master gave it to him in, but it's dirty because he buried it. He hands it back to the master. He said, you know what? 
I knew you're a hard man reaping where you didn't sow and, you know, requiring something, uh, you know, from this investment. And uh, I was scared to lose it. So I just went and buried it. Here it is. This is what you gave me. Here it is back. And the master said, you wicked servant, get out of here. And he casts him out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, that seems like kind of a harsh treatment, right? But he's kind of getting what he expected. He said, you're a harsh master. I know that you're going to reap where you don't. He said, oh, I'm, I'm harsh, am I? Oh, watch. I'm going to show you harsh. Here it is, right here, okay? It, to me, kind of shows that people see God the way they want to see God, right? Uh, in fact, it says that in a couple of uh, David's psalms. Uh, he says, uh, to the merciful, you show yourself merciful, right? To the just, you show, your, you show yourself just. But he says, to the perverse, you show yourself as shrewd or cunning. This is kind of a shrewd spin, okay? But basically, um, this is kind of like your life. And some people are naturally more gifted, man. They're just, you know, the rest of us are mere mortals, and we just look on and we say, wow, wish I was like that, okay? But to him who much is given, or to her who much is given, much more is required. So I'm watching, I, I, I have no idea why YouTube recommends what YouTube recommends. Uh, I just know it has something to do with what you previously looked at, you know. So I guess I was, you know, where the, the Mavs are playing tonight, which, by the way, is why I'm going to get us out of here a little early tonight. Um, but the, the Mavs are in the Western Conference playoffs. They're playing against the Warriors. And so I've been looking at all this basketball stuff. So I get, I get this recommendation, and it's like, hey, look, this kid plays like Steph Curry. Steph Curry is like the, the, the guy, the, I think he's a point guard, um, that plays for the Warriors, okay? So I see, and I was like, okay, click, you know. And here's this little kid, and I'm talking like a little skinny sixth grader. He's literally a sixth grader. And he does, he moves like Curry. He's like, you know, just does all those moves and, you know, throws all this around. And, and so I watched a couple of other videos about this and his dad is just a hardcore, oh, he's gonna wear this kid out is what's gonna happen. I've seen this in sports stats, especially if they have talented kids. They hammer them and hammer them and hammer them. I'm telling you, he's gonna wear this kid out. You know, it's good, discipline them, okay? But if you get too hard, they're not gonna wanna do anything. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. What I'm saying is, here's a, a kid like this. Sure, he's got this dad that's there that's training him, and that's good. Um, so he's got some resources. But he's obviously got some, some uh, athletic gifting. You can't do that with just any kid. I mean, I've taught karate to kids for years. And um, I rarely get an athletically gifted kid in there because most of the time they're in sports where they get rewarded, Right you know, team sports and, you know, they get trophies. And, and now, have you seen this? They all get these rings, <laughs> you know, like they, they win a little league thing and they get these big fat rings that look like the championship rings, you know, that like NFL players or, you know, whatever. It's like, like have, you know, plastic jewels in them and stuff like that. Okay. Anyway, um, but the point is, you know, I work with all of these kids and I work with what I've got. Now, are the kids that I'm getting who are not super athletically gifted, and some are a little better than others, 
Um, but none of them are super athletic. Are they better or worse than other kids? Right, there are some kids that have come into my karate class and they're just, man, they don't get it. They can't get it. They just can't figure, it just doesn't make sense to them, right? And I would imagine, you know, we could make application. I've done theater for years and there, you know, are folks that come in there and they're just naturals, man. You give them a script to read, boom. And they're just, whoa, you know, they do what they do. And then there are other kids that are reading like this. Does that mean they're worse? No, it doesn't. In fact, I've seen some kids, they're just not good readers as in the process of reading. But once they memorize the lines, they're actually pretty decent actors or actresses. People have different levels of gifting. The question is not how much you've been given. The question is, what are you doing with it? That's the question. The question for those of us that are older is not how much do you have left? It's what are you doing with what you have? None of us knows how long we have. We don't sit around and wait. We've got to invest this for the sake of the kingdom, right? Because there are going to be rewards. And, you know, in the end, uh, there are, and I've mentioned this in here before and, and laid these, these crowns out, right? You know, these different crowns that are, that are given. But in the end, in Revelation, we see that all the crowns that are given as rewards are cast before the throne. It's worship, right? You take what you have and you offer it to the Lord, even in heaven. So when we're in here, you know, on Sunday morning and, and the, you know, the band is playing and maybe that particular Sunday, I'm just, you know, I just don't feel very enthusiastic, right? Maybe things are not going well. Maybe things didn't go well at the house. Maybe, you know, I've got some worries and, and so forth. You know what? God hasn't changed. I'm going to give him what I have. I'm going to give him whatever I have. If it's raised hand, if it's a bent knee, if it's tears rolling down my face, right? If it's singing loud and out of key, I'm going to give him whatever I have because that's what I owe him because that's who he is and that's what it's what he's all about, right? So, yeah, that's that argument. And uh, next we're going to move to uh, verses 40, uh, 42 through 48, but we're not gonna do that tonight. Thank you guys for joining us. God bless you.